the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. Israel was finally in the land of promise. All of the tribes had their own land to possess and finish conquering in faith under God's leading. The cities of refuge and the cities for the Levites had all been determined. God did everything he said he would. In chapter 22, we saw that the two and a half tribes from the east side of the Jordan River were sent to return to their land now that the fighting was complete. But along the way, they had made an altar by the river. The other tribes were ready to make war and made all sorts of incorrect assumptions about them. We see the response to these accusations as we join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 22, verse 21. We are never, never to imagine what a brother or sister is thinking or wants. You're going to go right to him and ask. And if Israel had done that instead of gossiping about the altar, this confrontation would have never even happened because the answer would have been given, as we'll see now in verse 21. Verse 21, then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and that half-tribe, those bad Manasseh people, they answered and they said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows and Israel he shall know. If it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord, then save us not this day. I love their little introduction here because they give three names for God. The English doesn't translate it well, but they give three names for God here to show just how serious they are in their response. First off, they call him El. They say here, the Lord God of gods. In in Hebrew, it just says El, Elohim, and Jehovah Elohim. The first name for God here, El, it means the strong one, the one who's bigger than everybody else. Elohim, we use that word to refer to God as the supreme being, the one to be feared, the only God. Jehovah, that refers to the fact that he's the God they have a relationship with. He's the truly existing God, the one who is. This reverent invocation at the start of their response shows their shock at the other tribe's assumption of evil on their part. They're like, you think what about us? El, the strong one, the one who could overpower us in a moment. The God who's to be feared, Elohim, the supreme Lord of the universe, you know? And then the one who we're in relationship with us, the one who's become to us whatever we've needed him to be, he knows And Israel, he shall know. He knows what we're really about. And you know what? He knows everything about you too. If it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord, then save us not this day. It's almost like they say, you didn't need to come here with accusations and assumptions. God would have known if we were in rebellion to him and he would have told you to do something about it. And if we're in rebellion against God, then I hope he does deal with us so the entire nation doesn't experience his judgment. And let me ask you a question. Does that sound like a people who are backslidden or outside of the will of God? Not at all. Does it sound like a people who are unspiritual or don't care about their relationship with God or don't care about the rest of the nation's well-being? You know, I do find it interesting that we have no mention of anyone from the nine and a half tribes going to the Lord about this first. Do you know what I find when I'm usually upset up at somebody or upset at a situation? I need to do something and I go take it to the Lord. Almost always the Lord's like, ah, hold your horses, tiger. Who, who do you think you are? 
How about you just chill out for a second? Let's calm down, breathe. Let's read my word, get reminded of who I am, what I'm like. Remember, I'm on the throne. My church, not yours. My family, not yours. Those are my kids, not yours. I gave you your wife, so she's mine too. So can you just relax a little bit and wait on me? I have been saved, I would say, 95 out of 100 times. When I just go do that, I don't do nothing because God puts me back in the right place again. And then my heart can get in a place where I'm loving towards that person or towards that group of people or towards that organization, and I can look at it correctly. I imagine if someone had gone to the Lord, he said, why don't you ask them why they built the altar? Because that's where we are right now, but with a lot more baggage now because of how it happened. So in verse 23, they explain the real reason they built the altar. He said that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord Or, your second assumption, if to offer thereon burnt offering or grain offering, to have our own little altar since we can't come to the tabernacle or we don't think we can come, if that's the case, then let the Lord himself require it. The phrase there, that, means to this idea that you've assumed, that you've suggested, to these two ideas. If that's true, then let the Lord himself call us to account for that actions. We don't need you to deal with us. Let the Lord call us to account. You know, in other words, if even the slightest compromise from God's law was our plan, then we welcome God to deal with us right here because that's wrong. But what if the reason you've assumed these things, or the reason that you've assumed we built the altar, isn't why we built the altar? What if the fact that we built this altar represents the fact that you're not the most spiritual people among us, but we're actually concerned about your unspirituality? Because look at what they explain in verse 24. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak to our children, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made Jordan, the river, a border between us and you. You children of Reuben, you children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. And through that shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord, cease from worshiping the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before him, before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings so that your children may not say to our children in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Why did they build this altar? Well, they were afraid. They were anxious. They were worried that the other tribes would see them as inferior or separate because they chose their land instead of letting God do it for them. And that anxiety caused them to imagine a future where the other tribes forgot their part in taking all the land. And as such, they'd be treated like the other Gentile nations, that the nine and a half tribes wouldn't let their descendants worship at the tabernacle. And because of this, their children would worship other gods and fall away from the Lord. To keep this imagined horrible future from happening, they built this altar to be a witness. I'll get to that in a minute. Have you ever done that? Someone does something to you or someone says something to you or you hear about someone doing something and you begin to imagine what's going to happen because what they planned to do or what they said or where they're going to go with what they said or what they really meant by what they said and you start to imagine and all of a sudden you've got this string of events that you see yourself down the road and you go, I don't want to be there. And so you just say, not today. And then you begin to act in your own self-preservation to preemptively prevent them from taking you to your imagined future. I've done it. I've done it. So that fear, that fear of an imagined bad future where their children are falling away from Jesus, sometimes I do that and I'll start taking it down. Well, if we make this decision, and you know, before you know it, we'll be here. And Bev will just laugh. He's like, so if we put this in the credit card today, that means no one in our family will be saved. And then I'm like, yeah, I guess that doesn't, yeah, maybe I should rethink that. 
as these fears started to mount, because they started to feel this kind of prejudice, they picked their own land and God picked their land. They started to sense that, that they were viewed as the unspiritual kind of half-brother. Those fears began to take hold. And so they put their heads together. Verse 26, therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice. The word there now, it actually has much more force in the Hebrew. It means we need to do this right now. We got to do something now to prevent this future from happening. And so they decided, they logicked it out, that this altar will be a witness between us and you and our generations after us and your generations later on too. So that you'll keep letting us come to the tabernacle to worship God and to bring our offerings there. The word witness means legal evidence. In other words, long after everyone's gone who remembers what we did, how we helped you take this land, long after they're all dead, this will be legal evidence that we did that and that we have a part too, that we have an inheritance too, even though we're on the other side of the river. We put our heads together and we figured we'll do that so that your children could not say to our children, verse 27, in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. And how would this altar serve as legal evidence? Well, they made it just like the altar in the tabernacle, an exact replica, just bigger. So in verse 28, therefore said we that it shall be when they should say so to us or to our generations. Isn't it interesting that if all of a sudden turns into when in verse 28? All of a sudden, this imagined future now is a sure future to them. And when you do this, they'd already expected they'd do this, this thing that they hadn't done yet. Therefore said we that it shall be when they should so say to us or to our generation in time to come that we may say again, behold, look at the pattern, look at the replica, the model of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but as legal evidence between us and you that we have a part to play in this. When you and I worry about a future encounter with someone and play out how we're going to respond when they say this or do this in our minds, the Bible calls that sin. That's sin. It's the opposite of love because it's number one, rooted in fear, and number two, it's centered in self-preservation, which is self. It's the opposite of love. You know, it's interesting, at the start of their response, they give this beautiful invocation of God's sovereignty and God's loving care for them. They declared God's sovereign power and love at the start of their explanation, but their actions show that they really didn't believe God was all-powerful and that God cared about them. Their actions prove that they believe they needed to take care of themselves. Listen, Christians aren't supposed to go walking around thinking, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to the church if this person gets elected. Or I'm afraid of what's going to happen to our church if this person is the new worship leader or the new assistant pastor. Or I'm afraid what's going to happen to our church if we decide to go through with this mission trip or we decide to go through with this new ministry or we decide to do this or we decide to do that. Christians aren't supposed to walk around thinking that. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul sitting with Timothy and saying, you know, I'm pretty sure the gates of hell will prevail against us if this guy Nero is the next emperor like everyone's talking about. I'm pretty sure the gates of hell will prevail against us. We need to figure out a way to stop this. I can't imagine him doing that. And you know what's crazy? The one time Paul did let this attitude get to him, the one time he did do something like this, he had such a heated argument with Barnabas that it needlessly broke up their ministry team. That dude, Mark, he bailed on us on our first trip. If he does that again, less people are going to get saved. The trip will be a failure and I'm going to be stressed out again. We can't do this, Barnabas. We can't take him with us. And Barnabas was looking at him and going, Paul, let's get this straight. You got saved, and because you were killing everybody, people were a little nervous if you were legit. <laughs> and I came to you, befriended you, brought you in, and then let everyone know he's okay. He's safe. He's not going to kill anybody anymore. And you're telling me that we can't take my nephew or cousin John Mark? Because he's got a past? You're telling me that you've already figured him out and there's no room for growth? Can't do this, Barnabas. This is God's church we're talking about. Paul wasn't incorrect about Mark's behavior. He wasn't incorrect theologically about what's right behavior and what's wrong behavior. But man, there was not a lot of love there at all. 
And there was a lot of selfishness in the fact that he was thinking more about himself than he was about John. Now, that doesn't mean that we just let people do whatever they want. That's not the point. There may not have been a good time for John Mark to go, but there's a better reason to have that discussion. Not because you assume he'll just fail again. Chapter 21 ended with the coolest words. Verse 45 of Joshua 21, there failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. It ended with a word of God's faithfulness to give them rest. But you know, does anyone look like they're resting right now? They look like they're stressing right now on every side. The rest that we have in Christ isn't automatic. It must be entered into by faith. And can I share with you that fear is the exact opposite of faith and therefore it is the enemy of rest? Resting in Christ's finished work means I don't worry about saving myself anymore because I've already been saved. I don't worry about preserving myself anymore because Jesus has got me. It trusts that God loves me and that he's working in my life. It doesn't take matters into my own hands. Now, building this altar wasn't bad, but assuming your countrymen don't care about you and will do you wrong in the future is. So safeguarding yourself from a future fantasy crisis is the same exact thing as trying to earn your salvation. It doesn't fix anything and it often creates the division and suspicion you are trying to avoid. And so... We see here in verse 29, their offense that the other tribes would assume otherwise. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord, turn this day from following the Lord, to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, or for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God that's before the tabernacle. Why would you even think that about us? In fact, that's what that phrase, God forbid, means. It means, how could you even think that? Well, they are right. The nine and a half tribe shouldn't have assumed the worst. But it's not like they sent a clear signal either. (laughs) If they were worried about this, how about you sit down and have lunch? How about the same people who are talking right now, all stressed out, all suspicious of each other? How about they sit down and have lunch and go, hey, I know it sounds crazy, but we're a little concerned that this whole river thing and how the land was divided since it was so different, we're worried that you guys view us as like the less spiritual kind of half-brother. Do you guys think of us that way? No, why would we think about you that way? Oh, well, that's good, because you're thinking about building this altar and whatever, and oh, that's a silly idea, isn't it? Don't need to do that. How about we just, we do something together, and we make some type of symbol together that shows that, hey, we're all in this, we're all one, and God is our God, and we're all serving him together. How about something, we do something that just solidifies that together, and everybody knows it? Doesn't that sound like a way better chapter 22 than this one? But I see it repeated in church all the time. And it's because we don't get that person in front of us and just communicate clearly with them. We assume things. We create imagined futures in our mind. And we act on those imagined futures to try to keep them from happening. Their plan to build this altar as a legal evidence, whatever, made perfect sense to them. But because they didn't properly communicate the reason, it didn't make any sense to their countrymen. It's easy, and I do it. (laughs) The amount of times I've said to my wife, how could you even think that? Who would think that way? And then, thankfully, to finally see how that hurt her, that basically I would say, what kind of stupid person would think the way you're thinking about it? Why don't you think like I'm thinking about it? A type of hurt that I was causing by saying that. If there's anything I've learned in 45 years of my short life is that peoples are very different. There's only one of me out there. Thank God for that. But most people aren't thinking like I am. And even the ones that might think a little bit like I am aren't thinking the same exact thing I am. So I can never say, how could you think that? (laughs) It's easy to say, how could you even think that? But that response when we give it is always rooted in pride. 
Because people are different. And what seems reasonable or logical to you may not be so to someone else. And that does not make them unintelligent or unspiritual. It just shows the importance of loving communication. Love assumes the best about someone. And it's willing to have hard conversations. Love is willing to be hurt. It's willing to be corrected. It's willing to fight for the friendship instead of fighting to preserve myself. 99% of problems with a fellow Christian are solved by going straight to that person and talking to them with a Christ-like mindset. That's what God did with us, isn't it? He said, I'm not getting through. I'm going to come descend from my throne and speak their language. I'm going to live in their world. I'm going to get right face-to-face with them and have some frank conversations with them. And you know what? They're not going to like it and they're going to hurt me for it. They're going to kill me for it. But it's worth preserving the relationship. The book of Philippians is pretty much written because there's a bunch of women in the church who are arguing about stuff and they weren't getting along. He names a couple of them in chapter four. So in chapter two, when he says, I want you to all be of one mind and one heart. I want you to love one another. I want you to be gracious to one another. I want you to be kind to one another. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider that something to be held onto. Self-preservation of everything he had. All the privileges of deity was not the most important thing to him. His relationship with us was. And he laid it all down to rescue us. Now, in light of that, Paul urges us, now you, since God is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You go, be kind to one another. Those ladies, and he names them, he says, tell them to start talking to each other. Tell them to be kind to each other. Tell them to quit fighting with each other. And so I ask you, do you handle your fearful thoughts this way? Or do you imagine fearful futures and base your actions on how to keep them from happening? That's never gonna work. It's only gonna create more hurt, more strife. Verse 30, when Phineas the priest and the princes of the congregation, the heads of the thousands of Israel, which were with him, heard the words of the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoken, it pleased them. And there's almost like a, whew, (laughs) that's great, because we were getting ready to come over here and slaughter all you guys. So Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, and unto the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, they said unto them, this day we perceive, we know now, that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this trespass against the Lord. God's still among us. That's not what you wanted. That's great news. So now you've delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. We're good. We're okay. I mean, can you hear the relief here? God has left us. We're not facing impending doom because of you guys. Great fear on both sides here. Fear is such a dangerous thing because it torments you. It's tormenting. And that torment pushes us to take action when none is needed or wrong action when right action is needed. And can I tell you today that God will never try to motivate you by making you afraid? Anytime I feel afraid, I know it's not the Lord. He doesn't do that. It says, there is no fear in love, for fear has torment. He who fears has not become mature in God's love. It's that simple. If you are someone who's constantly afraid of the future, constantly afraid of things, I get it. I've been there. I've had periods where I've had to grow and become more mature in God's love because of the fear in my heart. But if that's something you struggle with, you need a bigger dose of God's love because he doesn't send that to you. He's not going to motivate you that way. So they go home, verse 32, this Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, and the princes, they returned from the children of Reuben and from the children of Gad out of the land of Gilead unto the land of Canaan to the children of Israel, and they brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of Israel. Everybody cheered. And the children of Israel blessed God. And they did not intend to go up against them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. Wonderful. No destruction. That's good. And here is verse 34. I love this. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad, they called the altar Ed. Why did they call it Ed? Well, the word Ed means a witness. For it shall not be a witness between the two tribes that each of them have a part, but it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. The Lord alone 
is God. For that is the lesson to be learned here in this chapter. When I assume the worst about my fellow Christians or I make future plans to preserve myself from them, I step into the role of God as one who has all knowledge, who has all information, and and who must act. I assume to be the one with all knowledge and the responsibility to care for me. And that is God's job. I see people say this, well, I have to say what everyone else is thinking, or I have to, someone has to speak up about this. When you decide that God's given you the role, being the one to say what everyone else is thinking, or you're going to be the one who saves us from a disaster, you are snatching the role of Messiah from Jesus and giving it to yourself. He doesn't need you to do that. He doesn't need you to be the whistleblower. This altar served as a reminder to everyone that there's only one God, and all of them are his servants, his servants. No one needed to stand up and rescue the nation from their own countrymen. We don't boycott one another, brother, sister. We don't rescue each other from one another. We're all on the same team, amen? There's only one God. Now, like Israel, the church is separated by geographical, cultural, and even preferential boundaries sometimes. But there's only one cross, right? Jesus isn't asking you to get on a cross for him, okay? He's not asking you to do that. He doesn't need you to fall on the sword, all right? He doesn't need you to be the one to speak up and save our church from ourselves. He needs you to love your brothers and sisters. Believe the best about your brothers and sisters. There's only one cross. Jesus is God, not you, not me. And so when fear or anxiety begins to creep in, now I'm not, I'm not talking about like false teaching. I myself call out false teaching from the pulpit at times. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you, you have a genuine brother or sister that you just have a disagreement with or whatever. When fear or anxiety begins to creep in, in that situation, then just look to the cross. Remember the one who loved you so much that he did that. Not just for you, but also for that person you're worried about. That he did it for the entire church. Let's not assume the worst. Let's instead trust that God is working in them just like he's working in you. And then, once you're resting in God's love, once you're resting in Christ's finished work again, and you're not resting in fear then go talk to them and just lay it out there. And you'll be surprised, I think most of the time, by where it goes from there. Amen? Lord, we thank you so much for your word, even though it's a hard word. Lord, they averted disaster, but what would have happened if they didn't send a delegation, Lord? Blood would have been shed all over a misunderstanding, all because of people's fears of imagined realities that didn't exist. Lord, we don't want to be like that. I know I don't want to be like that. I know it's so easy for me to get like that, Lord. When I've been hurt or when I've, something's gone badly in the past and, and so I don't want it to happen again and I want to make sure I get, I'm, I'm preserved. Lord, we all need to just trust that you care for us. You love us. You've got us in your hands and no one's able to pluck us out of your loving hands. So Lord, help us to think the best, believe the best about a brother or sister, to not see them as the enemy, to not assume the worst, to not assume they're less spiritual than we are, they don't want what we want, they don't want to serve God like we want to. Let's believe, Lord, that maybe they have a different perspective, maybe they don't see the way we're seeing it right now, and let's communicate lovingly and clearly with each other so that we can truly be a family, Lord, your people. And through that, that the whole world will know by the love we have for one another, how we work through our challenges, how we work through our differences, how we work through our issues, that they will see that we are your kids. So Lord, we give ourselves to you to be that church, to be that kind of a Christian in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear can really cause us to make foolish decisions. We can jump to conclusions that are not true when we are afraid. We can make rash decisions. 
We can burn many bridges out of fear. God never uses fear to motivate us. He calls us to be courageous and trust His love and goodness in whatever He has called us to do. Let go of fear, give it to God, and He will remind you of His faithful love and grace. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.